0: Good morning. How are you? Good. You guys were loud in the first service. It's great. Um, you slept in, right? Why don't you? Uh, my name is Jeremy. Uh, in case you don't know who I am, I'm a member here at First Baptist Church. It is good to be with you this morning. How about you grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. If you're using a Pew Bible, it's page 952. Page 952. Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, starting in verse 18 of chapter 1. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. low and despised in the world even the things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of god and because of him you were in christ jesus who became to us wisdom from god righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the lord let's pray Father, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall Your Word go out and it shall not return empty, but it will accomplish that for which You purpose it and for which You send it. God, thank You for The chance to be in your word this morning, God. And as we look at the word of the cross, you send that message out with the purpose to save. And so, God, we pray that today would be the day of salvation for some, that they would pass from death to life. God, also, the word of the cross is a message just to strengthen those who are already in your son to be able to walk humbly in the assurance that all that was needed to be accomplished for our salvation was. And so God, I pray that you would do that work in us this morning. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Nobody likes to be around somebody who boasts a lot, right? Like one of the most annoying types of people to be around is someone who is constantly reminding you of how great they are. They just can't get enough of telling you about all of the accomplishments that make them so wonderful in their own life. Now, if you're honest though, how many of us sit around a lunch table or when we're golfing with our buddies or we're at work, we're just waiting for that perfect opportunity to slide in there some kind of story or some kind of little ditty that's going to elevate other people's opinions of us. How many people do that? Okay, just me? (laughs) Thank you in the back. We got one in the back. Good, 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 good. Now, it's, it's just it's natural for us to want to share with people how good we are, how great we are. And some of it, again, can be really annoying. Some of it verges on sin. But what about our folly? How many of us ever take the chance to freely offer, to freely speak of that which is going to knock us down a few pegs in the eyes of people around us? Sure, we might do this thing where we um, do a little self-deprecating humor and share some of our little weaknesses in order to get a good laugh, or it might even be to get a little sympathy thrown our way. But I'm not talking about those types of things. Boasting in our folly is not natural. Unless you're a Browns fan, Scott. (laughs) I did it. There. Somebody asked me to do that. I did it. Cheap, easy, but necessary. Okay? Now let's move on. <laughs> now let's move on. Now let's move on. So, but, it's, but it is true. We don't naturally boast in our folly. We don't naturally share or proclaim things that other people think are absurd. But that's exactly what Paul's calling us to do. That's what the Apostle Paul in this passage is calling us to do. But let's look at verse 31 first. This is our boast. What we speak with excessive pride about, what we share, it's this. Paul says this, verse 31. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let me say that again. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul has this message that we are to proclaim, that we are to share, that we are to speak with excessive pride, to share it, to proclaim it, to herald it. And it is called in the eyes of those who are perishing, folly. Absurdity. Ridiculous. But it's our message to proclaim. So why don't we jump into what we have this morning? why don't we jump into what we have this morning verse 18 let's start in verse 18 for the word of the cross is folly, folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of god so here we have paul saying the word of the cross goes forth the message i preach and it goes out and has two different responses those who are perishing those who are not in christ see it as folly it's incomprehensible But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's the power of God. So look at our text. We're going to frame it first. Paul frames the text we're looking at this morning with verse 17 and then chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. I want to make clear what Paul's message is. Look at verse 17. There are some people having some problems saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. And Paul's like, what are you guys doing? And this is what he says in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So he came to Corinth, this city that was an important city that had commerce and trade that happened there. And it was populated with religious Jews and Greeks. And he started a church there. And when he came, he preached the gospel. Now look at chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified now let's think about this on this side we have this, paul's framing our text over here he says i came to you and i preached the gospel on this side of the frame he says this i came amongst you and decided to know nothing amongst you except jesus christ and him crucified look at verse 18 i came with the word of the cross verse 23 but we preach christ crucified It's not really that difficult to discern what is the central message of the Apostle Paul. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's the person and work of Jesus Christ. In fact, the center of the Bible, you can say, centers around Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Yes, Paul did teach other things. Read the rest of the letter but it all flowed from, had its foundation in the finished work of Jesus. And to those who are perishing, that message of Jesus is folly, absurd. The religious Jews, if you can read farther down in your text, the religious Jews were demanding signs The Greeks were enamored with wisdom and philosophy, progress, education as a means of self-salvation. That's what they were looking for. And so the idea of this man hanging on a cross as the one who was going to bring salvation didn't make any sense. Now, I don't want to be too hard on the the Jews and Greeks of that time, because for the religious Jewish people, a man hanging on a cross, according to Deuteronomy uh, 18, should have wrote it down. Deuteronomy 18 is what? Cursed. You mean to tell me the Messiah is bloodied and bruised and hanging on a cross? No, that person's under the curse of God. We need a conquering king. We need a conquering Messiah. We need powerful signs. Greeks wanted wisdom You mean to tell me that that guy hanging on a cross, that's how I'm supposed to be saved? Now, I'm not trying to treat anything flippantly at all, but if you see me beaten down in a ditch, bloodied and bruised, and I say, hey, uh, go look at the other guy, he's probably clean as a whistle, I lost. Okay, I lost. So the message to these people wasn't primarily of Jesus Christ. When they think of the cross, it wasn't primarily uh, the message of a savior. It was a vile form of punishment left, left and reserved for only the most hardened of criminals. Folly. You know, there's there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. We human beings are not that creative. We're not that creative so some of the same objections that we're, we can read about here in the text or, or that the jews and the greeks felt are still going on today i have this book on my shelf i pulled it off a couple of days ago and i was just kind of skimming through it i'd read it a few years ago it's called the end of christianity it was written in 2011 by a guy by the name of john loftus john loftus is a former pastor evangelical preacher turned atheist and he's now, uh, it's okay, um, is now, he's, he's an atheist, and he's written this book, and he edited it, and the chapter I read for this morning was called The Absurdity of the Atonement by a guy named, we'll call him Dr. Ken, that's his first name. He's a former preacher turned agnostic atheist, and listen to what he says, listen to what he says. what is the central element of the christian faith it is the cross what is the sign of christianity no it's not the fish it's the cross what do you see perched on top of church steeples what do you see around the necks of christians it's the cross the cross and what christians believed was accomplished there is the most basic and fundamental of all christian doctrines So far, so good. He goes on to write, many Christian apologists focus on the resurrection. However, without the cross, the resurrection is meaningless. And this is what he comes to his conclusion at the end of the chapter. To accept that the most fundamental Christian doctrine, namely that Jesus died for our sins, requires someone to believe something that is illogical, immoral, and incoherent it requires the sacrifice of our own intelligence to simplify that folly folly now what do we do with that because you can be sitting here and 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 some of you have family you have friends you have roommates and, and people you hang out with that You hear them, you share the gospel, they know what you believe, and their only response is that is ridiculous. It might not even be that it's ridiculous, they just may be indifferent to it. So, what do we do with that? Spiritually, things are spiritually discerned. Because, what is it? It's the power of God that saves. We need to pray like crazy. For the holy spirit to begin to awaken the hearts and minds of our loved ones to the good news of the gospel now if you're here this morning and you heard me say the word of the cross is folly and you wanted a period right there in order for you to shout amen or when you heard me read this uh, from john loftus and you wanted to stand up and cheer don't do that i don't want to have to have you removed we are really glad you're here we really are let me challenge you with this. You probably come here week after week with your arms crossed, hearing us sing about the gospel, hearing us sing about Jesus, listen to what's being preached and proclaimed from this, cru- from this pulpit. You know, that is just ridiculous. But yet you're here again. Let me challenge you with this. Do not sit there in silence week after week we are not afraid of your objections. We are not afraid of your questions. We are not afraid that you might demand some answers. That's good. That's healthy. And we want you to do that. So if you find yourself in this, the position of person thinking the word of the cross is folly. Let me say this as lovingly as I can. You are perishing. That's where Paul puts you. And we want to walk with you and answer your questions you may have. So one, the word of the cross is folly, but it's a foolish message. It's a foolish message that Paul has given us. It's been passed on to us, but it's the saving message. It's the saving message. Because of us, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's continue. Verse 21. Verse 21. Actually, let's go back to verse 19. Sometimes preachers should pay attention to their notes. Let's go to verse 19. I will destroy... This is God, I will dis- God speaking here. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? It's like Paul's, God's mocking them. Where are the people you're looking to who have what you believe is going to lead to salvation? Where are they? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Yes, He absolutely has, and what He does is He completely turns and reverses and flips what people think is wise and what people think is powerful through the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and Him crucified is the message that saves. Look at verse 21. Look at verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, so this is God's plan, The world did not know God through wisdom. You aren't going to achieve knowledge of God through philosophy, wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Let me read that one more time. It pleased God, or gave him pleasure, to quote John Piper, through the folly of what we preach. What do we preach? We preach Christ crucified. You see it right there in verse 23. To save those who believe. I don't think that's really that difficult to understand. Paul's not trying to to hide something. The means of salvation, the way people are saved, is through the preaching, the proclamation, and the sharing of the good news of the gospel. Look, it's right there. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now that's easy to understand where it gets difficult, and stay with me here, where it gets difficult is in practice. That's e- We know, we know, we need to share the Gospel. We want to proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Where it gets difficult is in practice. Because there are two temptations that we can fall into. Two temptations that we can fall into. One is to try and mask the Gospel. Trick it up. Make it more appealing. Give it to people in hopes that um, they're going to swallow the gospel while it's caked in something else. Because we know that people were looking for other things. People were looking for a meaningful life. People were looking for well-adjusted children. People were looking for good marriages. The Greeks and Jews were looking for something else, weren't they? The Jews demanded signs. The Greeks sought out wisdom. So the temptation is to add those things around the gospel and give it to them, the message of Jesus Christ crucified. That is a temptation. And let me just say this very clearly. That is silly and that is arrogant. It's silly and it's arrogant. It's kind of like, how many of you guys are dog owners? Anybody? Okay, we don't need to be shy today. Hands up, hands up. All right, so what happens when you try and give your dog a pill? What do you do? You take the pill, you pull out half a jar of pe- you pull out the peanut butter, you lather that thing up with half the jar, and then you stick the thing in the back of its throat in hopes that it's gonna swallow the pill. Now, for those of you who are dog owners, and those of you who aren't, let me give you a little education. How's that story end? <laughs> Two days later, you're walking by and you find something in your three-year-old's hand Lived completely clean. And what they really needed, they've left behind. They left it behind. Listen to me, family. We don't have to trick up the gospel, it is powerful enough to save. Scott Frederick um, posted this online, and I texted him like, hey, that's a really good quote. I think I'm going to use it. I do more research um, than just on social media for sermons, just in case you were worried. But this is what it says. This is what he said. It's from Mark Dever. The gospel of Christ has never needed the gimmicks of man to affect conversion in the soul. That's really good. And i didn't come up with it so write it down (laughs) the gospel of christ has never needed the gimmicks of man to affect conversion of the soul don't let us fall into that temptation second temptation too is to look look at the next verse here um please god through the folly of what we preach to save 22 for jews demand signs and greeks seek wisdom but we preach christ crucified a stumbling block to jews and folly to gentiles with the cross comes the offense of it and so with that the temptation is to remove the offense of the cross it was a stumbling block to jews it was folly to gentiles or gentiles we see that it's the same today let me just say this and then we'll move on christianity without the cross is not christianity Okay, just Christianity without the cross is not Christianity. It's not Christianity. And so the ultimate question for us here at the church is this, what Paul addresses here in the end of chapter 2, do we want people's faith to rest on the wisdom of men or on the wisdom of God? He wrote this, Verse 4 of chapter 2, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the wisdom of God. The message he's given us to herald, to proclaim, to share, is powerful enough to save. We see in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, We see in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch reading through Isaiah 53, and he hears the message of Christ crucified. What must I do to be saved? The message of the cross is enough. And I want to say this. I want to say this. Do we want our faith to rest on the wisdom of men or on the wisdom of God? If you have been here at all in the last nine months, you know the answer to that question what is heralded and proclaimed and preached here every Sunday by our senior pastor is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said this this morning, the gospel train is rolling. Hop on. Hop on. And I'm so thankful for what we get to hear every week. Jesus being central to all that we do and say. Yeah, yeah. Amen. So, the gospel, it's a foolish message, but it's a saving message. And it's also a humbling message. It's a humbling message. Look at verse 26. Look at verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. <laughs> you mad? I, love these, I love these verses. And here's why. I mean, if you, when I used to read these in college, I'd be like, Paul's basically calling them losers. Um, I've come to a better understanding of it, but that was my interpretation <laughs> when I was a little bit younger. Because look at what he says. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. You didn't have the worldly goods. And so, basically, what he's making the point is you want proof that God can use what is weak in the world to shame the powerful? You want proof that God can use what isn't wise in the world and destroy the wisdom of the wise? Take a look in the mirror. Yes. Now, I just want to say this real quick. Let's not push Paul too far. He says, not many it's not out uh it's not wouldn't be out of the question to say that there were people within the congregation who had a powerful standing within society and it's not like paul's making this point that no if you're powerful in society if you have some sort of position um that that moves you to the upper echelons of society that you can't hear the gospel and be saved that's not what he's saying he's just saying look you want proof that i can use weak stuff look at yourselves because the gospel was making inroads in the city of Corinth with the have-nots, with the have-nots. Look at what he says, God chose, verse 28, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. How are those, how are those verses for a pregame pep talk? Hey, guess what? We got this message to share. <laughs> John Stott quoting, John Stott commented on these verses. He says this: First, we have a weak and foolish message, Christ and the cross. Secondly, it's proclaimed by weak and foolish preachers. Thirdly, I was waiting for an amen. Thirdly, it is welcome. (laughs) Thirdly, it is welcomed by weak and foolish people, the Corinthian working class. Thus, God chose a weak instrument, Paul, to bring a weak message, the cross, to weak people, the Corinthian working class. Go team. But that's the very message that saves. And so, why would God choose this? It's so that no one may boast before him. Look in verse 29. Look at verse 29 so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Verse 30, And because of Him, God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. I said the point that I'm going to making is this is a humbling message. We don't boast in ourselves because we bring nothing to the table when it comes to our salvation. We boast in, brag about, speak with excessive pride about the person and work of Jesus Look at what Paul says. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. He's our righteousness, He's our sanctification, and He's our redemption. The Valley of Vision, it's a Puritan prayer guide. It says this in a prayer called assurance. If Jesus were not my righteousness and redemption, I would sink into the nethermost hell by my misdoings, shortcomings, unbelief, unlove. If Jesus were not by the power of His Spirit my sanctification, there is no sin I shall not commit. But if you are in Christ, guess what? He is your righteousness. He is holding you fast for your sanctification and you can rest well in knowing that you are redeemed. We can humbly walk in the assurance of the sal- our salvation, Jesus Christ, knowing that He did everything we need, and accomplished everything that we needed in order to be saved. For those of you who are not saved, who find yourself in this position of um, perishing, thinking this is thinking this is message is folly. Let me say this one thing. Do not let pride do not let pride keep you from the kingdom. Humble yourself before Jesus Christ. He did everything you needed. In John chapter 11, in John chapter 11, and this is a very popular story. Everybody knows that even if you don't go to church, it's about the story of Lazarus. And Lazarus was ill. Got sick. They send word to Jesus. Jesus waits two days, and then he goes. But Lazarus has died in the meantime. Now, let's make this story a little different. Let's put you in the story. And imagine, just imagine for a second that Lazarus is one of your boys from high school, like someone you hung out with, and, or better yet, one of your siblings. Better yet, one of your siblings. And you're standing there at Lazarus' grave before Jesus had shown up, and you're standing there, you're crying a little bit, telling some funny stories, reminiscing about all the things you had done, all the trouble you had gotten into as children, and here comes Jesus, and he raises Lazarus from the grave. He speaks life, physical life, into this person, and the person that was now dead is now alive. He's walking, he's talking, he's eating. You guys are fist bumping, chest bumping, doing everything, and, and you're happy that he's alive. Now, let's fast forward to the next day. This is one of your boys, this is one of your, bro- your siblings, and you're sitting there with Lazarus around the table, joking around, again reminiscing, and all of a sudden, out of Lazarus' mouth, he says this, Did you see what I did yesterday? What? Now, if his friends were anything like mine, at that point when I uttered those words, they said, he should have left you there. Because <laughs> you're an idiot. You did nothing. You did nothing. Jesus did it all. Jesus is the one who saved you. Jesus is the one why you're walking again, why you're laughing again, why you're talking again. Jesus is the reason why. And for us who are in Christ, Jesus is the reason we are here. Jesus is the reason we are righteous. Jesus is the reason why we are sanctified. Jesus is the reason why we are redeemed. So far be it from any of us to boast in anything else other than than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My friends, my family, listen, listen. Yes, yes, it can be a foolish message to some. And it can bring us, it can bring us scorn and ridicule. Or it might just be the point where people were indifferent it but it's the saving message it's the powerful message and as we preach it and we proclaim it we're going to pray like crazy that people would be humbled by it and pass from death to life so as we go let us boast in our folly the word of the cross, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the incredible story that your son Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, became man, lived the perfect life in our place, and then substituted himself on the cross for us thank you though god that wasn't the end of the story but he rose again and now he is at your right hand ruling and reigning over all the earth and god we pray for people in here that they that are not in your son that they your holy spirit would work in them to pass from death to life and for those of us who are in christ i pray that the gospel message would strengthen us in our walk we love you It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.